Lately, it seems that everyone wants to talk about the impending apocalypse. I don't know if you saw this uh, in the news the other day, but the doomsday clock has moved forward. In fact, it's at the closest to midnight that it's ever been. The doomsday clock is a long-running project by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. It now stands at 100 seconds to midnight. It's the closest it's been to calamity since 1947, which was the height of the Cold War. And uh, in other news that we've seen, we've seen uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos, Donald Trump and Greta Thunberg and the global elite discussing agenda items such as averting a climate apocalypse. We've had a summer of bushfires that isn't over yet. We've seen US tensions with Iran and uh, the whole nuclear threat, the tragic volcano eruption on White Island in New Zealand, and not to mention the recent and most uh, worrying concerns about the coronavirus coming out of Wuhan, China. So we have to ask ourselves, is this the apocalypse? Well, you'll see uh, when you you came in this morning, you received an an outline of my sermon so that you can uh, take some notes. There's a pen, uh, pens in the pews in front if you'd like to do that. I'm going to try and produce these each week as well as the recordings will be on our, sermon, uh, on, our, uh, on our podcast through iTunes as well as on our website because we really want to go look deeply into these questions that are facing all of us today and we want to go deep so that we as Christians can have a confidence and a hope and not just be silenced but be able to stand firm in the Lord. I reckon this year we're all feeling a little subdued as a new year has begun. As excited as we are for all the new kids' programs and all the things that are happening, everyone's just sitting back a little bit, I think, this year. We had our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and I think it's the most people I've had at a prayer meeting at my place on a Wednesday night. It was wonderful to gather together and pray for the year ahead. Thanks for those who were able to make it. Um, I think everyone is feeling it. It's weighing on our minds and on our everyday lives. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, in, whether you're, you know, you're at home, whether you're with friends, at the dinner party, in the, in the office, I'm sure you're finding the same thing as me. So in God's kindness and timing, it seems wonderfully appropriate that we begin looking at the apocalypse. That is the book of Revelation. The, Revelation, the book of Revelation is not just the sci-fi bit at the end of the Bible. I want to show, show you that over these coming weeks. What I want us to see, and we had beautifully introduced just a little bit earlier on, is that this is actually Jesus' personal letter to us as a church and as Christians on how it is that we live today in the light of everything that is going on. This is incredibly relevant for us. It's how we live in the light of a cosmic conflict in which Jesus has conquered. It's massively helpful. It's very important for us to get this right, for us to be able to have a voice, for us to be able to have hope, to teach our children, to make decisions and to know what is going on. I mean, I don't really know what's happening next week, let alone next year or the year after, but we have a God who's in control of the world and he speaks to us now in his word, the book of Revelation. Now, one of the great tragedies... One of the great tragedies in our day is how the book of Revelation has been so narrowly, so incorrectly interpreted with these sort of obsessive focus on the future and the end time and trying to tie it to particular events. You know, is Donald Trump the Antichrist or is that the Pope or, you know, know, whatever it might be. The result with all of these is that we miss the fact 
that the book of Revelation contains profound and wonderful truths and encouragements concerning your everyday life and my everyday Christian life. I want us to cut through all of that and mine the gold that's in this wonderful book for us, for the Christian life and for discipleship. And to see the visions for what they are and what the symbols point to. This is a letter that is very pastoral in nature. It's just what we need. It's a word of encouragement from Jesus showing that God is working out his purposes even in the midst of tragedy, of suffering and of the spiritual warfare that is going on in our everyday lives. It's the battle cry of victory. What it means to conquer through Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered on our behalf. Now, let's be real. I reckon about 98% of Christians never even own the book of Revelation. And the other 2% are totally obsessed by it. So I'm not sure where you fit on that scale or when the last time you read the book of Revelation right through was. But we're going to do that together. I think that's an absolute tragedy. We're going to do that together and help learn together and see how wonderful this book is to mine these wonderful truths and to be encouraged together, to learn together. It's a great journey we're going on. Have a look how it begins in chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Congratulations, Sally, you're already blessed. I can see the halo now. Blessed is the one who reads these words and blessed are those who hear it. Hopefully that's all of us to take it to heart because the time is near. This is a book about understanding the times that we live in, to understand the context of our lives, to get a perspective on our lives and on the world from God. Blessed is the one who hears these things. This morning I want to just simply introduce this book of Revelation and to give you some tools to kind of see how it all works together. Now, we watched a little introduction, the first little part of the Bible Project overview of the book of Revelation. I love this. And uh, you will have seen on the back of your sheets, if you get out a magnifying glass, uh, or if you've got super good eyesight, you'll be able to see um, what we began to look at on the screen before. Now, you may not be able to read all of that, but I love the way that they map out how it all fits together. And uh, you'll see how important that is, particularly when we come to these middle sections, which all describe one event from from different angles. And uh, you you start to realise the problems when people get caught up on trying to say what's the... What are the sign and what's the bowl and the seal? You begin to see how this actually works together as a book. I encourage you to, to go home and watch the YouTube. Uh, there's the link there, or it's also on the weekly newsletter that I sent out this week. That's part one, and we'll be doing part one of Revelation this term, and then next term, part two. And in the, in the Bible studies, there'll be 17 Bible studies that you'll be able to do over that time, which follow on from the sermons, and I'll have them available from next. I'm hoping that you'll be able to take, um, take those and make use of them. I'm hoping that, if possible, you'll be able to be part of a home. We are re- renewing and reconfiguring things, and we'd love for everyone to be able to do it. I know not always everyone is able to be in one, and there are all sorts of reasons that make that hard, but we're doing what we can to help everyone feel included and be included. And if, it, if, if it's absolutely not possible, then I do hope you'll take those Bible studies home and use them on your own or with a, as a couple or with a friend. So what are the five things that we need to know as we begin this 
series on the book of Revelation. The first one is, the first thing you need to know to understand the book of Revelation properly is the Old Testament. It is incredibly difficult to understand the book of Revelation without some understanding of the Old Testament. John, verse 3, identifies himself as a prophet in the line of the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Ezekiel. He speaks the word of the Lord in judgment and promise just as those Old Testament prophets did. He quotes and alludes to the Old Testament, and you may not know this, he quotes and alludes to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation more than the rest of the New Testament Combined, Get that? More than the rest of the New Testament combined, he quotes and alludes to the Old Testament. And Jesus, let me tell you, in the Gospels, quotes and alludes to the Old Testament a lot. So everything is saturated in allusions to what the prophets spoke in the Old Testament. So it really helps if you know what those things are. And I'm going to try and help us notice those things and see those things on their way. It should drive us back to the Old Testament to really see how God's promises have come true. To see as the Old Testament prophets did, as they called God's people to renew their commitment to God, to renew their commitment to his plans and his purposes, to turn away from the pagan practices, to turn away from the temptations to compromise that they faced and that we faced day by day. When the book of Revelation is understood in this way, you begin to see how prophetic and how pastoral and practical it is. It's immediately relevant to our daily walk. The pages of Revelations directly to our situation because we learn how we can have hope. We learn how we can conquer because God is protecting us. He's bringing us into the promised land. The final new creation will be no more tears or mourning or sadness or pain because the old order of things has passed away. And if you're not yet a Christian, and I love that we are in our church able to welcome people who are not yet Christian and they are absolutely welcomed here every week. I pray that you you go on this journey with us, that you'll explore and you'll learn and you'll think and you'll explore and I hope you'll find the wonderful hope that Jesus offers us in this letter, the book of Revelation. Second thing you need to know, not just the Old Testament, second thing you need to know is that this is a cosmic conflict. The book of Revelation is an unveiling. God is lifting the lid. He's, he's lifting the car bonnet, if you like, so you can really get in and see what's going on, the way things work. He is showing us the world as it really is, past, present. He's showing us the world how it really is. He gives us a God's eye view, a kingdom perspective, and it's very wonderful. In fact, much of this this book actually becomes a commentary on Paul's teaching on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, because he likewise does that too, to show that there's a cosmic conflict going on, that every day we're to put on the armour of God, to stand against the schemes of the evil one, until the day when having done all we'll stand forever in the Lord's presence. And most of all, I think, we'll be encouraged by the, the promise of John's great vision that it holds out, that we will conquer, because the triumph of God and the Lamb is assured. If our hope is in Christ, we will conquer and worship him for. Thirdly, it's most likely written by the Apostle John. Now, I know that in that overview, the Bible project, they said it could have been written by John, the apostle, or it could have been written by another John. The problem is when you look at all the things that John has written about and all the things he would have had to have known and experienced, it would be remarkably unlikely that there'd be another person who fits the bill as well as the apostle John. It seems incredibly likely that this is written 
by Jesus' beloved friend John. Not only the language that he uses matches the book of the, the Gospel of John, uh, but the insights and the experience and the witness and the testimony of Jesus' best friend John. John's writing to Christians in the historical context. He's writing to Christians who are about to be fed to lions. He's writing to Christians who are going to be exiled. Christians who are going to feel the full force of the Roman Empire under Domitian. This is a message for them. The pressure's on to stop witnessing to Jesus, to compromise, to stop talking about him as if he's important, to stop bearing witness at all. And this is the world, friends, that we live in. I don't know. I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you feel the pressure of being silenced in the world we live in today. We feel the pressure to compromise on speaking about Jesus, on talking about him as if he's important to us in our lives. John knows exactly what it's like for us because this is what it was like for him. You mightn't have noticed it at first, but John himself is writing from prison. He's writing in exile. Verse 9, we didn't quite read it, but if you just have a look there, there's a little casual mention in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony. He's writing from the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is a lovely Greek, beautiful island. In those days, that was a prison island, six kilometres long. These days, full of five-star luxury resorts. Let me tell you, John was not there on a holiday. He's an old man, and he has been sent to work in the quarries at 90 years of age. He knows what it is to suffer for standing firm, to not compromise. He's been bearing witness to Jesus, and it's got him in trouble. And there's more trouble coming soon. And so this is how you and I live now, he said. The wise words of an old man, very relevant to us today. Just look at what's happening to Margaret Court. Look at the proposed legislation in Queensland and Victoria, where it looks like it may be that you go to jail. Just say you read the prayer book introduction to the book of marriage and you wanted to say marriage is between a man and a woman. That's where things are going. The progressive media outrage at religious proposed religious freedom legislation. And it's just the ordinary Christians like you and me, with their friends, with our family or at work, where we feel silenced or pressured to compromise on what we believe. It's incredibly helpful. Fourthly, to understand the book of Revelation, well, we need to understand apocalyptic. This is an apocalyptic style. It's not scary. It's a book of pictures. It's pretty obvious in a way. The Apostle John wrote it, actually tells us he's describing visions he had. And the visions are meant for looking at. And they come from a style that comes from that early Jewish time. And uh, he sees himself in the line of the Old Testament prophets like Daniel, like Ezekiel, like Zechariah. And he draws on all those kind of visions that they had. And he he has this sort of vision, if you like, of what life in the last days is. Of course, those prophets looked forward to the last days. John says, we now live in the last days. We live in the last days between the death and resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. So his visions are based on and fit in with those Old Testament apocalyptic visions. But like the other New Testament letters, it's an incredibly pastoral letter. He writes to the, the situation of believers who are receiving this. He speaks. He writes to the seven churches, but of course we know seven, and I'll talk about this in a moment, is a special number, which means all churches, every church. This is a church, a letter written to the church here in Kalara. This is for us, God speaking to us. Indeed, this letter from Jesus gives us a perspective that we are now in this heavenly conflict. 
that our real and eternal home is in the new heavens and the new earth through Christ's death and resurrection. It makes plain what we actually all experience, that conflict is actually at the centre of every part of human experience. And so that's the motivation we need to not compromise on Jesus because Jesus has conquered. A Christian says, thank God we've got Jesus because what else can I put my hope in? My house might burn down. I might get sick. I might be, there might be a volcano that explodes. Well, Donald Trump and others may make decisions that have an economic impact that challenges the whole world. Climate change might come. What else can I put my hope in? Jesus' vision gives us an entirely different perspective from that offered by the world. It reminds us that every person has an appointment with Jesus. It's in the diary. It's been confirmed. And that's a comfort and it's a challenge. C.S. Lewis in his little book, The Joyful Christian, says, Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. And the Apostle Paul says, God commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. I want to suggest the best way to read the book of Revelation is to try and sit back and to see it. To see it in your imagination. To visualise what John sees. And we'll we'll look through this the first apocalyptic vision next week. So you'll have to hold on to your hats for that. But I want you to remember as we do that that most of the things that are going to unfold are not to be taken literally. We're going to see lions and lambs and beasts and women, but each refers symbolically to another set of realities. That's why in the very first book, the very first book, verse of the book, John sets out the principle that the visions to be unfolded in the book have a predominantly symbolic meaning. And you can actually, again, because it's John in Revelation, you can actually trace that back to Daniel chapter 2. And, you, you know, uh, and he shows from Daniel 2 that these are symbolic. Those people who don't understand that start trying to take these literally and going, going on all sorts of crazy tangents. We need to read the book as it's written. And John tells us the principle, the visions, whether it's the beast or the false prophet or the seven kings or the ten horns or the army of 200 million or the 24 elders or the millennium, they're to be taken non-literally. They're symbolic. It doesn't mean there aren't some historical references that he links things to, but the meaning is to be found symbolically. And almost always in the context of the Old Testament that he's alluding to. And we're going to try and link those things together to get that for us so we can make sense of these visions. Well, fifthly and finally, the symbolic uh, significance of numbers. Uh, There are three numbers in particular that we come across in the book of Revelation, 4, 7 and 12, along with multiples, and they feature uh, repeatedly in the visions. And again, each comes from the Old Testament. So notice Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Have a look at verse 4 there. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, notice number 7, grace and peace to you from him who is and was and is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Now you see where it says the seven spirits before the throne. Now some people try and take that literally and say there were seven angels or spirits beings around the throne. But it's clear when you actually read it, The reference is to the Holy Spirit. And so that little phrase, the seven spirits, is to highlight the fact that the fullness of the Spirit 
is being emphasised. Seven in the Old Testament and elsewhere in Revelation figuratively refers to completeness, to fullness. So the seven spirits means the Holy Spirit. And so when you read it like that, you realise, and and that's of course because it's rooted in the seven days of creation, this means this book is from God the Father, the Spirit and Jesus. Ah, now that makes sense. Number four, we also get that a lot. That's in used in the Old Testament and other Jewish literature. Think of the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, west, all that kind of thing. Again, to represent completion. Uh, number 12, also completeness. Uh, from one nation, Israel had 12 tribes. Jesus had 12 apostles. Completeness. And finally, the number 10 represents completeness, you know, the Ten Commandments. And any numbers that are short of those numbers represent incompleteness, imperfection, evil. We'll come to those in due course. Why are numbers so important? Well, this isn't just for the accountants and mathematicians uh, who are here. The symbolic use of numbers serves to express the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God over all of history, past present and future, links through all of those Old Testament allusions and references like a game of chess. And you and I are meant to see see the sacrificial move of Christ at the cross puts the devil in checkmate. It deals him a mortal wound. And the devil continues to play the game of rebellion, but his defeat has been assured. It is checkmate. Jesus has conquered. And that's why the book of Revelation is so helpful for us. Those five things will help you and I, as we work our way through together to see how this relates to our everyday lives. And my prayer for you and myself is that we do that together and we'll grow in a depth of confidence that the roots of God's love will go down deep into our heart with an assurance of Christ's victory. So when we're tempted to compromise, we'll remain faithful despite apathy, affluence and pressure that will know what it means to conquer through Jesus Christ because he is the one who has conquered on our behalf.